We've got a lot to get through today, so I want to get going, but we're going to pick up where we left off. We've been in this series for a while, looking at what it means to be created in the image of God when it says that we are created as He was. We need to understand that. And we've been in this for a while, and we've been on this latter phase, because I told you there are four fundamental questions that every believer must be able to answer. Who is God? Who am I in relationship with God? Who is my enemy? And ultimately, how do we worship God? Do you guys realize that worship is a tool and not the, uh, the mechanism of which we worship God with? Because at one point you worship God with sacrifice. Aren't you glad those days are over? I guess you're always going to sacrifice a lamb today. <laughs> not today, okay. So if anybody wants to watch that, go on over to her place. But, I mean, you think about that. We've got to be able to answer these questions. Here's the problem. We have answers to these questions, but these questions that we get the answers to we don't necessarily come from Scripture. We have answers from opinion, we have answers from society, we have answers from things that maybe we were taught growing up, but we can't necessarily answer them from Scripture. Who God is, you can get all sorts of different ideas about that. I was having a discussion with a college student just uh, last week, I think, who's kind of going through a rough time, and they're going through this, what we call the deconstruction stuff, and telling me all these things about God, of who God is, how He's loving and merciful, and which is true. But I said, how do you know that? She's like, well, I mean, he's God. Because they've rejected parts of Scripture. I said, yeah, but how do you know that Jesus was loving, and how do you know that he was compassionate? Well, he knew it from reading the Word. And so it's like when we get these ideas, these belief systems we have, they have to have a foundation outside of our opinion. It can't just be something we believe that just because we believe it, it doesn't make it true. We can't just want it to be true. We can't wish it to be true. And that is a big part of the problem, because when we talk about who God is, and then ultimately who we are in relationship with Him, and then who our enemy is, these all matter. And when we talk about how we worship Him, we have to worship Him in a way that He wants to be worshipped. We don't get to pick and choose. If you go and sacrifice an animal today, is God glorified in that? No, He's glorified when you smoke that baby and you eat it. That's the will of God. Sorry, I got a little distracted there. <laughs> they might as well smoking, right? Jim can't handle it. You see, we've got to get back to the idea of what God has said trumps everything. And when it comes to this idea of being in the image of God, what our relationship is with Him, we see it clearly from the pages of Scripture. In Colossians chapter 1, we read this last week, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Now, what does that mean? The imager, representative. He is the exact thing that you and I became. The firstborn over all creation. Firstborn is a title. It is a position. It's a position of authority. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus was the express image of God on this earth. What is the express image of God on this earth today? Look around the room. We are it. We're his representative, his imager. We are created in the likeness of God. And we don't walk in the likeness of God. Because we should look at Jesus and say, okay, well, what did he do? Because if he was the image of God, and then we are to be the image of God, then what on earth did he do that separates what we're doing from what he was doing? 
Did Jesus have a different Holy Spirit than what you and I have? Did he have more anointing? No. Did he have more giftings? Was he God? Not on this earth. He came as a man. He humbled himself. He grew in stature before men and God. You don't grow in something before God if you are God. That would imply that he's incomplete. See, we've got to think biblically. Everybody was afraid to answer that question. You know why? Because you're waiting on a lightning bolt to hit you. But the truth of the matter is, is it clearly spells out what he was here to do. As a man lived perfectly, took a punishment for us as the image of God. No greater love than this is that a man lays down his life for his friends. That's love. Love is not embracing. Love is taking the place of. And so when he is the image of God, then he says that we are the image of God. Well, then that's great. I get that. What about all the things that he did? He said, you're going to do greater works than these. Well, how? Well, there's something in John 15, and I, I touched on this last week, but I want to spend a little time there this week. Because one of the issues we have is found in this verse, but we don't even realize we're missing it. John chapter 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. They gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. What was the key to this passage? It's the word abide. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to abide? Because we read it, we say it, but what does it actually mean? Well, if you were to tell somebody to abide by the rules, what do you mean? Stay within the confines. Stay right here. Don't try to venture outside of this because now you're not abiding. Now, when Jesus says, abide in me, what do you think he means? He means stay right here. What's the net result? Well, you'll be my disciples. You see, he's the branch, we're the vine. He's the trunk. We're tied in to that. If you remove the branch from the trunk, what does it lose? Its source of life. Its distinguishing characteristics. Because you may be able to look at a branch on a tree and say, well, that's this kind of tree. Some of you might be skilled enough to look at the trunk of a tree and know what it is. But once you remove it and the leaves wither and dry up, can you tell an oak from an apple? Probably not. You see, when it's connected to the source of life, it flourishes. We see this in a couple of different ways, but we're going to come back to this idea. But in Revelation chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 14. Revelation chapter 3, this is Church of the Laodicea. It says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, 
that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous... And repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my words and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, let's look at this for a minute. This is the seventh of the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. These were actual churches. Many of the things that are written here have an immediate context of what was going on. Talking about the eye salve and the hot and cold deals with the water and how they got and all of that. I don't want to spend time there. But did you hear the word abide mentioned once? You didn't. So how does this connect? Well, if you look at church history, and you'll notice that those seven churches all seem to correspond with a period of time in history. It's an interesting idea. Nothing that you can definitively prove, but it's an interesting idea that they correspond with different times of history in the church, every single one of them. If they were in any other order, it it wouldn't even work, which would put us now at this Laodicean age. Was Jesus saying warm and feathery thoughts to these guys? No. He said, you don't even know. You're naked. You're poor. You're blind. You're wretched. But what did they say? I am rich. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. Imagine the vine on a tree, the branch of a tree, looking at the trunk and said, I ain't need you no more. I got this. That's essentially what's going on here. That's essentially what the church has done. Because we've turned Jesus into an image much like ourselves that we bring along for the ride. And every once in a while when things get hairy, we rub our Bible And hope a little Jesus pops out to grant our three wishes. I got more analogies if you don't like that one. We can can keep going. But that's how we've treated God. But is that what he said? No, he said, abide in me and I in you. It's this abiding part. If you looked at the life of Jesus, did he abide with the Father? Absolutely. Look at John 17 when we read that last week. That final prayer. Lord, I pray you don't take them out of the world. Protect them through them. So that they will know that I am in you and you are in me and we are one. Did Jesus abide with God? Absolutely. How did he do it? He stayed in the presence of God all the time. You see, this is part of the problem. The church today has become rich. And we are wealthy. And we have need of nothing. And yet, we want more. We want all that this world has to offer. We chase everything that this world can possibly give us, looking for something greater, looking for something more. And yet, Jesus is standing there saying, abide in me. And anything you ask in my name, I'll be given to you. We're chasing everything but God. Let's look at this again. John chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine. That means there's a fake vine. There's something else that you could be connected to that will give a false sense of security. 
I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So what does he expect of the branch? It's to bear fruit. If you planted a tree, an apple tree, what do you expect from it? Make some dang apples. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, isn't that interesting? Because he's not talking about salvation here. That was the clean and unclean aspect. You're already clean. What's he talking about? See, this is something new. This is different. Could they abide with God in the Old Testament? Couldn't go into the presence of God. One man could. He was it, high priest, one time a year. So how did they abide with God? Well, they had to keep the commandments. They had to make the sacrifice as good as it got for them. See, all of this information that we've been talking about over the first couple of weeks of this is that is new to these disciples. Understanding, he says, I'm going away. Well, where are you going? Why can't we come? We want to come. Well, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send the Spirit. What do you mean? Why are you leaving? Don't leave. We like you. Stay, stick around. All of these things, he's talking about that, that he would be in us. This is new. He's, he's not talking about salvation. He's saying that if you don't bear fruit, that branch will be taken away. Verse 4, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So how does one bear fruit? Abide in him. If I were to throw out and say, what percentage of the body of Christ in America today is truly abiding in Christ? Meaning that we are focused on God and we are just living our lives in the presence of God. What would you say? Ten? Seven? Is that what you said? Sure. Why not? 4.2? I mean, it would be a small percentage. Why? Because we're so distracted. Because I have need of nothing. I have become rich. All the analogies that Jesus used about bearing fruit and the things that keep us from the four soils, what keeps us from it? The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, the pleasures of this life. He's talking about bearing fruit here. How do you do it? Abide in Him. You stay in Him. Stay within the confines of who He is. Stay in His presence. Never leave it. Always aware of it. You see, Jesus is our example. We see that here. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Here we have the church today so desperately trying to bear fruit detached from the trunk. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So how do you bear much fruit? Abide in him. There's only one way. It's not a doing, it's a being. It's a presence. We spend our entire lives doing things, and Jesus has simplified it. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them, and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So in order to be his disciple, what do you do? 
you must bear fruit. In order to glorify the Father, what must you do? You must bear fruit. How do you do it? You abide in Him. Do we believe that? Then why don't we do it? See, that's the thing. You think about this. Think about some of these old songs we used to sing, okay? Some of you have been around a while. You might recognize this one. Some of you that haven't, it's a, it's a new one. You wonder why we ever sang any of this stuff because some of them are kind of hokey. Back in the 80s and 90s, every song seemed to have this Russian Jewish sound to it. It was kind of weird, but we're not going to go there. But I've got a river of life flowing out of me. What's he talking about? Holy Spirit. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison's doors. It sets the captives free because I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well. It's in my soul. You know, you know how it goes. Some of you do. Some of you don't. Yeah, yeah. Now it's in your head the rest of the day. How many times have we sing that song back in the 80s and the 90s? All the times. That song got sang every week it seemed like. Did we believe it? Obviously not. Because look at the church. You can tell what somebody truly believes by the actions that they take. I know I've said this before. But if you have full faith and trust in a parachute, you'll jump out of that airplane no problem. If you don't trust it, you ain't going. I get that. But my point being is that if we believe what the Word of God says, then we have no problem doing what the Word of God tells us to do. If we believe the words of Jesus, that if we simply abide in him, we'll bear fruit. Does the tree try to bear fruit? No. It doesn't because it is connected to the branch and of its essence, fruit is born. But we're trying and striving and trying to do, and yet all we had to do this entire time was simply abide, spend time in his presence. The church has become a joke. It's become a social club of which we show up to. And we put in our time, we drop in a few bucks, and we go about our life. We bring Jesus along when it's convenient. We just want it. We're trying to figure out, okay, I don't want to sin, but I want to get really close to it. How close can I get before you call it sin? Is that a question to answer? Somebody's abiding in him? No. The church went into hiding during COVID. Why? I mean, much of the church world that we associate with, God heals. It's his will. You lay hands on the sick. They'll recover greater things. Will you do because he goes to the Father? Believers lay hands on the sick. And what do we do? We're doing church online this week. We went hiding. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Let's quarantine. We found out where we were. But if we really believe that I've got a river of life that's flowing out of me, it makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison doors and it sets the captives free. What am I going to do? I'm going to the blind. I'm going to the lame. I'm going to the captives. I'm going everywhere. But in order to bear that fruit, I must abide inside of Jesus. Every morning I get up, I'm just, I'm just putting a little Jesus on today. I am him. These are his hands. This is his mouth. I am his body. We are going. We're looking for an opportunity to be Jesus to somebody because we are Jesus. But we spend so much time trying to do things instead of be something. Did Jesus try to be the son of God? Did you ever hear Jesus, oh Lord, if it be your will, please Heal this blind man. 
Why? He was abiding in the Father. He knew who he was. You can begin to see where the church has got it so wrong. We can see this spelled out here a little bit in Matthew chapter 16. There's a couple of things here that I kind of want to show you. So you get the idea of what Jesus was doing. But we're going to spend some time on, on this concept because I think this is everything. I think this is the quote-unquote secret sauce that we've been missing. But in Matthew chapter 16 is the passage that you're familiar with. Verse 13, I'm going to break this down a little bit. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, understand, Caesarea Philippi was like the hub of satanic activity, of idol worship. Tons of, the God Pan was worshipped here. He said, they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now stop. Right there was known as the gates of hell. In Caesarea Philippi. They had carvings into these, uh, this big cave system there. And they had this opening with the gates of hell. They believe that was where the realm of the dead was. And this is how you entered into that place. And they had all these carvings inside where you could, they would put these idols and stuff. When Jesus is saying this is a physical place. okay, He's not just simply making an analogy. This is a physical place. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Watch what he said. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bond on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in, in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that he should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, when you hand somebody the keys to the kingdom, what have you just done? You gave them access. When can he go in? Whenever he wants. When can he leave? Whenever he wants. Who can he give the keys to? Whoever he wants are his keys. And he says something that's interesting. He says this to a man. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose. Now, that's a, that's a legal term. Okay? Not a spiritual warfare term. It's a legal term. The binding and loosing were things that they would use in court. If something was bound, it was sealed. If something was loosed, it was allowed. When you use it for spiritual warfare, binding Satan, well, what if somebody loosed him? Now he's running rampant. Running around the throne of God, neener, neener, neener. We see this played out in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him to be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now this doesn't sound like a, a much of an authority position or an abiding verse, but let me explain this to you. First of all, he's giving an idea of what we call church discipline. If somebody sins against you, what should you do? Well, you obviously go on Facebook and, and blab about it. No, you go to that brother. And if they won't hear you, and I'm talking sin, not just upset you because you're too sensitive. I'm talking sin against you. You go to them. And if they won't listen, you take two. And if they won't listen to them, you bring them before the church. 
And if you won't listen to them, you give them the old boot, the right foot of fellowship. And then he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So in other words, whatever decision you make goes. He says, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Why? Out of two or three witnesses. That's this whole legal term. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. In other words, it's as if Jesus himself laid down the verdict. Why does that matter? Well, what happened every time that Jesus was around when the disciples were there and something weird happened? What did everybody turn to do? They looked at Jesus. You going to take care of that? You going to fix that? What did Jesus tell them when they couldn't get the demon out of the little boy? How long am I going to be with you? You see, if Jesus was standing there, everybody looks to him for the answer. Naturally so. What he is saying is that you, abiding in me, have my authority. And what you say as my imager is instituted. That's the key. You see, he's telling the disciples, he's telling Peter, that you need to understand what's about to happen. Now, with that, we begin to see other passages that kind of lay out this idea. One's in Colossians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Now, let's look at this. Rooted and built up in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Grounded in Him. Abiding in Him. Established in the faith. You walk in Him. Then he goes on. He says, in Him, being Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So was Jesus lacking anything? Was there anything that Jesus was lacking? No. And what does he say? You are complete in Him. So is there anything that you are lacking no, then why do we act like it's just we need one more prayer service? We need somebody to lay hands on us. We walk around like we don't have what we need, and yet he just said, you are complete in him. Why? Because he was in the Father, and the Father was him, and they are in us. And if we abide in him, are we complete? If we abide in him, will we produce much fruit? If we abide in him, will we walk in the fullness and the power of God? So if we're not, is it possible we're not abiding in Him? Is it possible <coughs> that we've allowed the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of life to stand in the way to what God wants to do? I'm telling you, church, as I've been praying over the last several weeks, there are people in this room who the Holy Spirit has been trying to convict their heart, and they've allowed things to stand in the way. They've allowed hurt feelings and bitterness. They've allowed the things that they're chasing after, what they think will make them complete, will just be a vacuum of disappointment. 
Because life is not about here. Life is about eternity. Life is not about heaven. Do I get to heaven? That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly that you would produce fruit for him. Because you and I will not reside in heaven. We'll be in this new heaven, this new earth. It will be as it was in the beginning when God created everything. We spend all our existence just worrying about, well, am I going to heaven? But I'm telling you, if we begin to abide in the presence of God, things will begin to change. When he says, seek first the kingdom of God, then all of these things will be added to you. Do you think he meant that? Absolutely. Look at 1 John chapter 2. It says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. You see, we're out there trying to do the works of Jesus. Jesus didn't try to do the works of Jesus. The works were done because of who he was. Because of his recognition, being the Son of God, connected to the Father, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Is there anything about him that's different than what you and I are? The answer is no. The difference is he abides in him. We have a generation of young people that's been just taught we've got to chase money, we've got to chase career, we've got to chase all these great things in which we'll find fulfillment. What if we told them to chase God? Did God not say, if you seek first the kingdom, then all these things will be added? That doesn't mean they quit their jobs and they don't work and they sit around and wait for money out of heaven to fall down or anything like that. But, like, what has your heart? You're abiding in the things of this world, the things that can never bring fulfillment, the things that never can truly bring joy. It brings moments of pleasure. But ultimately, it is empty inside. And it's empty inside because there's nothing that can bring what God brings. We have got to get beyond this to recognize what He has said, what He is doing, what He has made us. Are we separated from God? No. Are we complete in Him? Yes. Then what are we waiting for? See, we've got to press in and start to live our lives abiding in Him. Well, what does that look like and how do we do? We'll get in that here soon. But just trust me in this for a moment. I'm just trying to get you guys to rethink a little bit. Verses that we quote all the time, but we don't really think about what they mean or how they apply to our lives. I want to show you something in Acts 17, and I'm just about done. But in Acts chapter 17, Paul's on a missionary journey. Paul's going around doing Paul things, okay? Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now, think about that. What was Paul doing? He's just hanging out. He's meeting up with some guys. And as he's looking around, he sees all of this idol worship in the city. It bothers him. So therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue 
with the Jews and with the Gentiles worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. Now stop for a minute. As a result of his spirit being provoked, in other words, this bothered him, what did he do? He argued with them. He went to the synagogue. And he argued with the Jews and the Gentile, the people that worshipped at the synagogue. He also went to the marketplace. How often did he go? Every day. Whoever happened to be there. Does this sound like somebody who's abiding in Christ? It does. Why? Because he's just waiting on these guys to show up. And he's looking around. He's like, well, I'm not going to sit here and do nothing. Look at this. Look at what they're doing. There was a lot of idol worship going on here. It's a Greek city. A lot of it. And he couldn't help himself. Then certain, verse 18, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Now understand that these philosophers, these are, these are well known. These are people that are incredibly smart. They had different philosophies in life and different beliefs. Okay? But the word babbler literally means bird brain. What it actually infers. It's like, what does this bird brain have to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, I can't talk today, saying, May we know what is this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you, you, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. They were obsessed with this education, if you will. They want to hear what's going on. They loved this philosophy to be challenged and to challenge. Verse 22, and then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the object of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring, therefore since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and men's devising. It's that last statement that he makes there. For in him we live, and in him we move, and in him we have our being. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the totality of man. In him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. Now, does the church walk like that? Does the church talk like that? Does the church live like that? 
only a select few. And those select few, we will talk about for generations past their time. The John Lakes of the world. The Smith Wigglesworth of the world. Who got a glimpse of who they were and simply walked in who God said they were. They abide in Him. Smith Wigglesworth was so uh, adamant about not being infiltrated by the things of this world. I don't know if maybe you've heard this story, but there was a story of Lester Summerall, who was a young man, he got to meet him. And he showed up at his house, he got to go to his house the next day, and he's got his newspaper folded under his arm, he knocks on the door, Smith opens the door, and he says, what is that? And he says, it's a newspaper, he's like, throw it out, that's not coming in here. And of course, Lester's like, uh, okay. He's like, that's fake news. That's not what he said. He wasn't a lie, but he was saying, like, it's full of lies, it's full of deceit. I don't want that in my house. And as he came inside, they sat there. And he said, they would sit there and they would talk to him. He's like, well, let's pray. And they begin to pray. And he said, let's read the word. And they begin to read the word. And they would talk a few minutes. Oh, hey, let's pray. This man was abiding in God. His entire life revolved around abiding in God. This former plumber who could not read life became an example of what it was to abide in God. And that is what has made him so well known. He did not have a special anointing or a special gifting. He rejected the things of the world and said, I'm going to abide in him. And we see the fruit of it. Who couldn't do that? Nobody. Every person born again Living and dwelling in Him. If we just simply lived our lives, in Him we live. In Him we move. In Him we have our being. There's nothing else left. What if we actually started believing the words of the songs that we sang? I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison doors. It sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Out of your, riv- uh, your belly will flow rivers of living waters that overspill. You see, it's God. There's so much more. There's so much more that we can tap into that's in us. The reason the church today's tree is so barren is because we try to do everything we can disconnected from the vine. We got to get back to abiding. I'm going to show you how we do that. We're going to do it together. We're going to grow in this together. Because it's not just you and it's not just me. It's the church as a whole. We get so caught up in doing good things that we're not doing the works that he's doing. This time of year especially. Opportunities to give and hand out food and all of that. Those are good things. Those are what Jesus was doing. You know, I'd rather have somebody go hungry and get healed and saved than have a full belly and go to hell. What if we actually start believing the words? You know how we can tell when we start believing the words of Scripture? Our actions will change. Everything about us will change. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that it guides every part of our lives. Lord, I pray that you convict our hearts of the areas of which we missed it, the things that we have taken for granted, 
the things that have taken place of you, the things that we try to do outside of you. But, Lord, that you be glorified in every part of our lives, Father, is, it should be our goal. And, Lord, I just ask that you put a fire in our heart that we chase after you and just be in your presence and just be with you and just your, your presence just consume our lives, Lord, knowing that we lack nothing, but we are complete in you, ready to do your work, to do your will. Be glorified in everything we do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We're going to strip the stage here in just a few minutes.